Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. This is the first page of my diary. My father gave it to me for my 11th birthday. I know when it's my birthday because he tells me. I asked him what to write in here and he said I should write about things that happen in the order they happen, he said. And if not much happens, you should write about your thoughts and things like that. Or describe things around the house and farm, or things you remember. But he told me not to write everything. Some things I'm not allowed to write down. That's an extract from award-winning author of Wimmera and the the Rip, Mark Brandy's latest book, The Others. The book follows 11-year-old Jacob who lives alone on the farm, the only world he has ever known, with his father and a small flock of sheep. His father doesn't talk much. The flash of anger and whites of his eyes, a warning Jacob has learned to heed. He has told Jacob not to stray. The farm keeps him safe, protected, and up the hill beyond are the others, an unnamed danger and the plague that has ravaged life beyond. But in Jacob's diary, he breaks the rules. Some things should not be written down. Some things should not be remembered because sometimes people do the most terrible things. The Others is a slow, creeping psychological thriller set deep in rural Tasmania. It captures the tension of isolation and a child's desire to push against the boundaries of a restricted world. And now author Mark Brandy joins me to discuss his book and the craft behind it. Mark, welcome to Backstory. Thanks, Mel. Great to be on the show. It's it's a really good time to kind of um, have a psychological thriller that really plays on the tension uh, between two people in an isolated setting. I don't know where you've uh, you've gotten your inspiration for that, Mark. (laughs) Well, yeah, when we look at the outside world now, it's... um... It's a, it's a bit distressing, you know, and I, I can't say that I was prescient in writing this book and that I foresaw a pandemic at all. But um, no, certainly the, the inspiration uh, for the story uh, went back a lot further. I um, I started, in a practical sense, I started writing the others uh, in around 2016. So, and at that stage, it was a a short story, so I I wrote a piece which was actually a fictionalised account of some real events from my youth. So when I was growing up in in regional Victoria, um, we had a a farm outside of the town we lived in, and I was probably about eight years old at this stage, and I I remember like we we had sheep on the farm and uh, as, a, as a result of having sheep, you know, we, we had issues with vermin like foxes, rabbits, all that sort of stuff, mice. And we used to go hunting out in the farm, which we, I, I had really kind of mixed feelings about as a, as a kid because I, I loved animals. But on 
like my, my dad used to set traps out there as well, and I don't know if listeners will remember those kind of horrible steel-jawed traps that, that got used for, for rabbits and the like. And on one occasion, he um, he came back from the farm and he came to town, and I, I, I remember this so clearly, like I was in the house, and my dad came in and said, you know, Mark, come out to the car, I've got to show you something. And went out there, and in the, the back seat of our old Kingswood was like a, a blanket crumpled up, and he, he reached inside and he, and he brought out this, this fox, like a live fox, a baby fox. And I was transfixed by this. And he took it inside, and I, I was kind of thinking, you know, what's going to happen here? Like, here's this animal, this wild animal that we've, we've tried to kill, and he's taking it inside the house. And my dad, like, he proceeded to, to dress the wound on its leg and he, he made an enclosure for it um, in the backyard and we basically looked after it like a pet. And I suppose, you know, I, I returned to that, that memory which had kind of stayed with me and I, and I wrote this fictionalised account which was um, published in the engine. And I suppose I was, there's still something in that voice and something also in kind of the intrigue I had about the adult world at that age because I think it was one of my first insights into some of the complexities and, and contradictions of, of my father but also of adulthood and, and parenthood and and it was really that that intrigue and that, that voice that I returned to when I started writing the others. Yeah, this complex relationship with animals um, in a farm setting particularly is something that's really played on to good effect when it comes to ratcheting up the tension in this setting because there's this idea of, you know, obviously a relationship with the animals that is a protecting one at the same time as quite a violent one, a a predatory one, and that's really, really lent into uh, in in this book in a way that feels quite visceral. Not huge amounts, like, are really happening at any time, but these things are really you know, giving you the underlying tension. Mm, yeah, and I think that that was really important for, I think, you know, the development of Jacob's character and, and through these diary entries where we're seeing his, his interaction with the natural world and, and particularly to the animals who he, who he feels it's a great degree of um, care for. And I suppose I was I was kind of interested in that, that tension there between, you know, what, he, what his father's telling him and, and showing him about the world, which is sometimes quite quite brutal, but also Jacob's just natural inclinations to to care and, and to love. And and that's sort of where, I guess, the, the seed is planted for, for the events that unfold later in the story. And I think, you know, it, it's a weird thing when you, you look back on your own, own work, like... It's strange, before the others came out and you start to think about, you know, you're going to have to be out there doing publicity and, and talking about what inspired you to do the book. And I always feel like somewhat disingenuous when I talk about what inspired me or what drove me to write it because when I when I start to write, I, I never really know completely. Like, I, it's kind of, there's something driving me and I don't know um, entirely what it is. But I think in this case, it was really that, that question over nature versus nurture and to to kind of what extent our our early childhood experiences shape us and how much of it is really actually inherited or or in 
innate in us, you know, if there's inherent goodness in us in humans, because Jacob is there, the only way he understands the world and the only, I guess, um, uh, portal to the outside world is, is through his father and the lessons that he's taught. And it's, I suppose, and without giving away any spoilers, that that's really... Um, the question that, that drives uh, this story in the narrative. Yeah, and the questioning of that as well. I think it's not too much of a reach to say that your work does cover um, ideas around toxic masculinity and, and how that's passed on or not passed on, as the case may be, that there is a choice that can sometimes be made. Um, but you are actually you know, absorbing what it is that you're being taught. Do you feel as though there is that kind of, you know, whenever we write about fathers and sons uh, or look at this kind of inheritance, do you think think that's an underlying um, consideration whenever you're pursuing that in a narrative? I, I, I think so, yeah. Look, in, in this story, in this narrative in, in particular, um, I, I think it was partly... A, a, a reflection or more of an investigation really of my, my father's relationship that he had with his father. And if I can tell a bit of a, a backstory to that, he, like my dad was, um, he was born in Italy in um, a kind of uh, northern Italy and a very remote property. He, he lived, lived in the hills kind of um, during the Second World War. He was born just prior to the Second World War. And he was the second eldest of, of seven children, and and they lived on this um, in this stone house out in the middle of nowhere, and basically lived a, a very subsistence existence, you know, and no running water, no electricity, nothing like that. And on top of that, my my grandfather, so my father's father, he was a very violent, um, abusive man, an alcoholic, a womanizer. He, he used to beat his, his wife, my grandmother. He would um, beat his children. And, you know, on one occasion, he actually assaulted my grandmother so badly that the police were called and he was arrested. And, I mean, if you think about that in you know, post-war Italy, which is a very patriarchal, very conservative society, for that to happen was extremely rare. And ultimately, my my grandmother actually divorced him, which, again, in, in that in that era and in that place was almost unheard of. And, you know, my dad had this, as you might expect, this incredibly difficult relationship with, with, his, with his father and never really understood why his father was, was so cruel to him and, and the rest of his, his family. And he really carried that with him, I think, throughout his whole life. Yet he was he was determined. He didn't speak much about his childhood, you know, for probably for obvious reasons because he that was very traumatic. But he was determined not to, I guess, repeat the sins of his father, and and he was determined not to to raise us in that that way. And I suppose that that was was something I was exploring in this book. But when I look across, you know, my my three books, there's. Yes, it's kind of there's some bad men in all three, like in in, yeah. Mimre, in, in, in the Rip, you know, um, and in the others. And you know, I, I think that I was raised in an era where you know it's more with the benefit of hindsight when I look, look back on on you know, as you quite rightly raised that issue of toxic masculinity and people not showing their emotions, not dis- and males not encouraged to discuss their emotions or express them in a in a in a normal way. And 
like I grew up in a pub for most of my childhood in, in Western Victoria and the, the way that you would see masculinity play out, you know, it was that day night and, um, you know, fights and just you know, t- terrible stuff because guys were not um, really taught or shown a way to, to express themselves in a, in a measured manner. So, so much gets, gets repressed and then comes out in these really like horrible ways often. And I think we're still carrying the legacy of that, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I guess this is kind of covered in a sort of direct way in, um, in that Jacob is asked, you know, not to write about some things and he should know what things he's not writing about. So it's this idea of, you know, covering up the things um, that you don't want society to peer into too much, I guess, does kind of um, poke its head in in this, in this narrative in some way. I, I want to like kind of really dive into uh, a little bit more about the tension, you know, in the heart of this book. This idea of of two people who are the only people in each other's worlds, or at least, you know, there is, I think, a visitor to the farm, um, and I won't give too much away about other things that happen, but. At its core, this is two people locked in a, an isolated setting together. I mean, I guess we're all getting a masterclass in this particular psychology, but there's something about this idea of how do you um, how do you get privacy or how do you get a sense of um, of self within that kind of a, a setup? And I guess secrets form um, the kind of you know take the place of privacy when you actually don't have any. Can you talk about that in this particular book? Because it is part of, again, the tension that ratchets up is this idea of trying to keep a secret from someone who is keeping a sharp eye on you at all times. Yeah, look, it's in that way. I mean, even just thinking about the writing of it now, as you described it, it was it was quite stressful to write because I was there in sort of you know, Jacob's world and, and describing what's going on and, and feeling protective over him too. And he, you know, he's kind of faced with really no no choice in a way, but to to keep certain things a secret from his father because he, he's fearful of his father and fearful of the reactions that. Um, that he, that he might get, you know, if, if some of this stuff is exposed. But I, I think, you know, he, he loves his father too and, and respects him. So there, there's this kind of very complex relationship going on between them. But I suppose the the, the diary form was a, a really, you know, it, it was a, a, a difficult way to explore that in some sense because I had to be, I had to be careful about how much I was exposing in these these entries but you know and not having the the that jacob is so like precocious that he's suddenly you know drawing some um adult kind of insight into what's going on around him he, he's starting to learn what's going on around him and it's just that natural progression and that natural curiosity that's occurring and i think in a lot of ways some of his underlying concern um, but perhaps that he doesn't even recognise, um, particularly early on in the narrative, is expressed in, in some of his illustrations um, and some of the definitions that he finds in, in dictionary and in encyclopedias because he uses those books to kind of try to get a, a better understanding of the world around him. But I think, you know, it is a very intense environment between the, the Jacob and his father there and an incredibly claustrophobic environment as 
as well. And, you know, if, if the last two years have taught us anything, I think we, we all know kind of how... Um, how challenging that can be, even with you know people who we we love and, and, and care about. It can be really, really tough to be enclosed with someone day in day out. Now, in, in Jacob's case, that's the the only world he's known, so it's very different from from our experience of that. But I suppose what what is what is driving him still, I think, is this kind of innate humanity and. And ultimately, again, without spoilers, he, he's kind of he's faced with a choice in the end about whether he does what is the right thing, kind of from his heart's perspective, versus what he's been taught and what he's been told um, by his father through, throughout this narrative. So, you know, it, it, it was intense to write. It was really like, in, in many ways, I think that the hardest um, book that I've written because it was just incredibly emotionally training to write it. Mm. And I found myself going going inside this world, seeing the world through Jacob's eyes every day. And and then you know, the, the layer of pandemic came across yes. it in the last last year, which was more, I, was, I guess, in the, the editing stage of the story then. That added a, a very different dimension to it because I, what, what I found probably most fascinating is the way in which, I, I, I guess, isolation um, can make people very susceptible to some pretty kooky ideas, you know. Um, and I think we've you know, seen that play out of the streets of Melbourne over, over the weekend. Um, when people are only exposed to... Uh, Certain points of view, and, and this is probably a, a real issue in our modern age with um, the narrow casting that occurs through through social media, where people are only seeking certain news stories that that validate their own point of view. When you get that happening, and, and people aren't really tested in terms of um, their understanding or their perceptions of the world, people get really extreme ideas. And I suppose when I was editing this book, I was thinking. Man, like I obviously it's a work of fiction, and obviously the Jacob and Sailor are very fictional characters, um, despite the fact that they're they're kind of drawn from the experiences of my father and his grandfather. But it really kind of, in some ways, validated what I was writing, and 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 felt validating in terms of the psychology going on between mm-hmm. Jacob and his father um, in a in a scary way, I have to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's that's the unfortunately the world we're in now. Yeah, I mean, I do, it does kind of really lead to the question about how has writing in this isolated world changed us as writers? What is it doing to our psychology? And isn't that, you know, I mean, obviously it's seeping in, in in these particular ways. But, you know, are we infected with some of what's going on? I guess, you know, it depends on the person. But how has it changed you, do you feel, as a writer? Has it changed you? Oh, yeah. Like, last year, um, I found it, in, like, when we're really in the in the depths of um, that, that first extended lockdown, I found it very hard uh, to work creatively. It was okay for me to do that kind of left-brain um, editing work, um, you know, getting the markups back from my publisher, and I could, I could manage that. But doing new creative work... I found incredibly difficult, and I've, I've thought about that 
that sense. And, you know, I think part of it was just that uncertainty about, about the future. And in a practical sense, when you're thinking about a book, you know, there's like a two-year lead time for, for the book coming out. And so you think, holy shit, what's the, the world going to look like in two years? And so what, what am I what am I doing here? What does this even mean um, in, the, in the context of what's, what's happening? And I mean, at that stage, um, yeah, v- vaccines and things like that were, were still a long way away. So I found that really um, difficult. I was just, I think like many people, just trying to survive in, in, in some ways. Like I'm a fairly solitary person, quite introverted. I'm, I'm happy to work on my own day in, day out. But I think that that lack of um, connection, real life connection, had an impact on me. And I, I know that like some writers who I've spoken to have kind of had the opposite experience and had a, a real creative Burst during that time, um, but but that that wasn't wasn't my experience. I found that tough. Um, but, you know, an, it, it is an interesting one, isn't it? Because you know, the writer Zadie Smith wrote a, an essay um, about her own experience during the pandemic um, and saying that writing for her was that something to do, uh, equivalent in a way to baking bread. But I think your experience, Mark, does seem to be a more common one that of you know, really being challenged with having the time to be creative but not the the motivation to do it. Yeah, that's it, that's it. I mean, normally, like, you know, in the last, since I kind of um, started working full-time writing, it's, it's been an incredible experience. Like, I love it. And, you know, that doesn't say every, every day is great. It's not it's a, like a roller coaster. But it was really challenging that, that last year. So it was, it was a shock to me to to feel like that but then kind of this year I've I've probably fall more into the Zadie Smith camp I suppose like just having it having something tangible to work on has, has been good um and you know just to have a bit of a bit of focus in in terms of how much the, the broader experience um the pandemic kind of seeps into to my writing. Uh, of, of course it will. Of course it will. I think you know um, we're all sponges, um, us, us humans, and I think writers are no, no different. And we we're absorbing it. How that uh, is then translated or mediated into the written form um, kind of remains to be seen. I mean, I, I wouldn't be doing anything. I wouldn't be writing directly about the pandemic or anything like that. But I think that that. Um, experience and and seeing how it's impacted on people and on society and and really how fragile so many things in society which we, we take for granted you know that that kind of social contract which we all kind of um, accept that you know we're all um, law abiding we're all get along and you know the government will look after us and everything's fine it's kind of really been shaken by all this and and I think we've, we've Yeah, I mean, it's a, basically every kind of speculative fiction novel you've ever read has, has in some way horribly come to pass. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Mark, we were talking a little bit uh, before the break about 
writing uh, the, the form that this book takes, which is in a diary form, or at least that's the illusion that you're creating. I'm always interested in how authors use a kind of sleight of hand where they're using a particular device but without beating people too hard over the head with it. And I think you really do hit a nice uh, happy medium with this. You're, you know, giving us illustrations, so you're giving a sense of a diary, um, a visual language, so you can get the child voice to tell you something slightly more adult or something maybe subconscious. Uh, you're also using quite simple language, but it isn't really written in a strictly diary form. Can you talk about the, the way you've crafted this book? Yeah, so the, the diary form, it, it kind of... I feel like it chose me in a way. Like I didn't choose it. It was a strange thing. I, I, when I when I sat down and started writing uh, the, the longer narrative from that short story, it just kind of made sense to me. I thought, how would Jacob, you know, how would he observe and how would he absorb and, and speak about this world? He, he might do it through a diary. He might have a diary. So I I started writing it in in that way, and I guess that that you know the the plot machinations of that came later. So the, the fact that his his father gave him this diary and was was um, ostensibly trying to help him with his his reading and writing, but um, we're not entirely sure of his motives there. Whether that's that's true. So I guess there was that that tension there. Like you, you're kind of wondering whether or not the father's actually you know having a look at this diary from time to time, and, and Jacob has to keep it hidden. But in, in in writing the, the the diary entries, it was it was tricky because you know you, you have to I suppose give a a full understanding of, of life there on the farm, but but not have it you know um, uh, be so like repetitive and, and and tiresome like just him observing what the sheep are doing every day. So um, I, I suppose that as I started to write the diary entries, I started to become more conscious of where the narrative might be heading and that's kind of a that had been true of all three of my books but I've never really had a completely clear idea of where the story might finish up or, or what might happen so with, with the rip with um danny living on the streets of melbourne I, I i started just with her waking up in the park and at that stage um anton didn't exist sunny didn't exist her dog um they they kind of came as i as i was writing and so i had this kind of like broad direction where i, I think it, it, it might be heading, but I, I don't have a, a clear idea, and it really unfolds for me as I'm as I'm exploring the world, and in this case through Jacob's diary entries. And I suppose one of the the, the real challenges of, of writing it was um, writing from that 11 year old point of view, because you, you've really got a limited palette in a vocabulary sense and also in terms of his sophistication. I mean, he's a he's a smart kid, he's a clever kid, but he's, he's certainly not worldly because he's living this very isolated life and he's homeschooled by his dad. So it, it was really like there was a, that was tough because it, I, I'm, I'm conscious that it's for an adult readership and I need to have as compelling and vivid a world as I can that still, you know, draws an adult reader in. So that was a, a real constraint in, in writing the story on, on the one hand. But on the other, 
you've kind of got that vivid imagination that you can explore with a, with a child. And we can all remember, you know, like I remember growing up in, in the 80s and you know, pre-internet, pre-computers and all that, and just how you kind of imagine all sorts of crazy shit, like from in your backyard, like going mm. on, like whatever. Like you just, you, and I'm not saying kids don't have it nowadays, of course they do, but it was just this, this really rich experience, I think, that you had to create for yourself. And that's like ratcheted up to ten with with, with Jacob, and, and and kind of um, materialises in a way through through his illustrations um, and, and through his uh, you know, use of the Woman's Weekly and, and things like that. He's definitely a bookish kid, but he doesn't have much reference material. He's got uh, a encyclopedia and a dictionary, I believe. I was a little hazy. I think a dictionary and an encyclopedia, both. Um, but he's also got access to the Women's Weekly. And that's, you know, he's using those things as imaginatively as he can. Um, anyone who had an 80s childhood would recognise some of the references. I think there's Scott and Charlene, who is also Kylie Minogue, as um, how he's named some of the animals based on things that he's taken out of these magazines, which is really, you know, kind of these little beautiful things that you've, you've wound in. I am interested though because you know if you look at say for example strict uh, you know, historical fiction you know you're not strictly writing in many um, you know historical fiction novels you're not writing strictly in the kind of period voice all the time you're giving a sense of it and sort of interested in how you're you're doing that with this diary form because it's really just enough to make you feel like you're in a diary but really you're now in this internal monologue what are your your feelings on that like when you're you're creating something because I know some people do want to have that meta feel where you're really creating an artifact um, but I do feel like, you know, you, again, pulling it back a little bit in the way you have is, is really interesting. I mean, you're not going into that kind of level of meta of um, Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions. You're actually trying to give you this little, you know, you're dropping things in to let the reader feel like they're reading a diary without actually being constrained by the form. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's a, it's a really interesting insight. I, I You know, it's... It evolves fairly, fairly naturally for me, and I think, you know, dropping those um, those hints here and there, and and really, yeah, you know, I guess challenging the the reader to to question, you know, what are they what are they reading here? Is this a faithful account of, of what's going on? And I was, I was thinking about while you were speaking too, like even it's not so much diary entries, but um, even the epistolary form like used in Lionel Shriver's um, We Need to Talk About uh, Kevin. You know, you, you can really, um, you can do some interesting things with with this, this kind of form. I wasn't expressly conscious of that in the initial drafting. I was more like seeing it in that, that um, uh, as, as a pure diary entry. But I guess it's in the, the redrafting and the editing that you start to be able to, I guess, become more conscious of the reader in some ways. Like in, in those early drafts, I feel like I'm I'm telling myself the story, you know, like I'm getting the narrative down. I'm trying to understand what's going on here um, and where it's headed. Later, I become more conscious of the reader and of, of testing the reader in, in some ways and, and, and challenge, challenging them. But, you know, I, I don't... You never want to be too kind of tricksy either mm. because I think that that can really... 
shake the, re- the reader out of the experience and become very conscious of the author's hand. And that's really the, the last thing I want in, in this type of book because what's important in, in the telling of Jacob's story and in using those, those diary entries is that it's almost like a spell, you know, like that when you're reading it, you're going under a spell and you're finding this world compelling and interesting and you're inside of it and you find it real. And I, I, I never want the reader to have the sense that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm aware of Mark Brandy here to try to like, um, you know, do this or do that. I, I, I want them to, they can reflect on that afterwards for sure, but when they're, they're reading it, I want them to be inside that experience. And, you know, I was just thinking too, like even with the um, the, the details that are dropped in there and the historical references, I, I was thinking back to when I was writing Wimra because Wimra is, is laden with some of those um, those references from, from the 80s. And you're, you're always like... Like I, I like doing it, and I, I like dropping those in there. But you never want to overdo it because it just becomes quite like hammy when you're doing it, and it's just it, it's a, it's a tempting thing to do because those things are really vivid in your mind. Um, but you, you've got you've got to be fairly restrained, I think, about doing that. Now I want to kind of touch on something that is obviously you know part of the bread and butter of the writing that you do do and that's really building tension we've talked about a few of the things that are really going on here you know the description of animals and that kind of the violence and the kind of love for them that's that's intermingled uh the tension between the two main characters and them stuck in that kind of gothic rural setting which is always very effective but how do you really ratchet that up when you're really trying to have a world where you know like a lot of days are quite the same you're spending a lot of time in this kind of slow build-up how do you how do you keep the pages turning in a very spare narrative yeah, that, that, that's that's the challenge, isn't it? Because, and I, I think in in this book it was it was more of a challenge because of exactly what you're describing, you, you, you're very limited in in your your cast of characters basically. So there there isn't a, a Steve say from the Rip who's arriving on the scene, or um, or let's say even in um, in Wimra. Uh, with the villainous character there, you, you know, it, it's you, you're stuck with these two, and part of that is really exploring the complexities of of those characters. So for Jacob, he is discovering the complexity of his father, and that light and shade that exists within within him, and we as adult readers, like Jacob's faithfully, or we think faithfully recording what's going on with his father and what's going on with the farm. But as adult readers, we're reading between the lines and we're seeing things that perhaps Jacob isn't seeing about his father or not really understanding because he doesn't have the context to understand it. So we as readers are almost um, seeing that little bit deeper and then feeling, I hope, protective over Jacob and thinking, you know, what's going to happen here? And so that in itself um, is a driver of the tension in the story. And I think, too, you know, the, the that rural environment is really interesting in Australia because we, we have this, on the one hand, it's kind of this, almost bucolic view of rural life and you know we've seen it during the pandemic of like 
the people um, uh, wanting to buy re- real estate in rural areas and this exodus from from cities and thinking you know, how lovely it's going to be and they're going to have a few animals, it's going to be great. But, you know, like ha- having grown up in a rural area, it, it's, it's, well, it's partly like that, but a lot of it's not like that. And, and there is this darkness and, and violence but you know, under the surface. And it's also that great crime, isn't it, that, that is the crime of Australia, the colonisation, that underneath every great crime novel is a deeper crime and, you know, really in the bones of, of, uh, of a place um, when you start to, to kind of see, you know, these, or feel these things, you have to think there's something else going on under the surface. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fantastic insight. Like, and it was particularly relevant when I think about Tassie, you know, because like when I've uh, been to Tassie a few times over the years, I've always felt that darkness really intensely when I'm there. And I think you know, perhaps because um, some of those uh, kind of colonial artifacts are, are really visible there, but. I've always I felt it more acutely there than I have in, in kind of regional Victoria or, or or elsewhere. But but that's right. There is that that, that dark history always um, here in Australia, and you know, it's also like a proximity to brutality because when you you know the farm farms are nice and lovely places, but there's also the slaughtering that goes on and all that sort of stuff. So it's not like a, a, a peaceful, um, calm existence always. You're you, you kind of faced with those really um, tough elements of, of life and, and often those really difficult decisions. And, and sometimes, you know, like Jacob's father says, you, you have to do the most terrible things. And and that is something you're faced with in in rural life, and I think farm life perhaps more more readily than we are in in city life. But um, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how how some city folk sort of find country life in the coming 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 few years. Because I mean, look, I loved it. It was it was great great place to grow up, and I and I, I never want to be someone who's kind of sinking the boot into to country life. But um, but you know, there's some really tough elements there, and and I think having that kind of goldfish bowl existence that you have in in, in small towns uh, can, can be really really intense and and pr- place a lot of pressure on people and I think that that's partly why writers are drawn to writing about it too. I'm sure uh, our relationship with uh, regional areas is changing as is our relationship with cities so I, I'd be really interested to see how it manifests in in writing in years to come. Mark, I would love to talk to you for another hour, but we have reached the end of this one. Um, I would like to thank you so much for joining me today on Backstory. Oh, it's been such a pleasure, Mel. Thanks for having me on. That was uh, Mark Brandy, author of The Others, which is out now through Hachette. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.